All right, Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. We're going to be in verse 20 through 26. And then if you would put a finger into Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3, we're going to hop back to uh, Genesis as well. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that you're here with us. We're thankful for your truth. Lord, in a way that I can't communicate, but you can through the power of your spirit, may it really be established in our hearts and minds that we're created in your image, for whom you died, that everyone around us is created in your image, and we pray for breakthrough to take place in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He's in the temple. He's being challenged. He's being questioned. And one of the questions that's brought to Jesus has to do about taxes. Now, I would never think that one of the most important foundational truths would be unpacked on a question about taxes. But leave it to Jesus. Like, here we're talking about taxes to the Roman government, and Jesus turns it back that we're made in his image. And since we're made in his image, to render to God the things that belong to God. So, so tonight we're going to start in Luke and then we're going to go back to Genesis and see how we're created in God's image. So join me in verse 20 of, of Luke 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous, that they may seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. Then he asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And we talked about this on Saturday and Sunday, how if Jesus would have responded to not pay taxes, he would have been in trouble with Rome. But then he'd also, on the flip side, be in trouble with the people if they're being encouraged to pay taxes to this Roman empire that has dominated them. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar." And to God, the things that are God's. But they couldn't catch him in his words in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. So a clear message here. You have Caesar's image upon this coin. It's been stamped into this coin. How much more so have we been created in God's image? So God has put his imprint into my life, your life, everyone who's ever been created. So go ahead and give Caesar the taxes that are due him. But more importantly, what then do we render to God if we're made in his image? Everything. Our whole entire lives surrendered to the Lord because we're in his image. I want to go back to Genesis and we're going to kind of take a 30,000 foot view of the first three chapters of Genesis and look at creation, look at how God made us in his image, but then how quickly Satan attacks the image of God because Satan hates uh, the image of God. So let's go to Genesis, first chapter in the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 1. If it's been a while since you've studied Genesis, most of the foundational doctrinal 
issues are laid out in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and most of the ways that culture challenges truth are found in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. If you study the first 11 chapters of Genesis and you believe it, you're on good doctrinal footing. If, if you reject things in these first few chapters of Genesis, you get off theologically in a very profound way. So verse 1 of chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness and called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it be divide the waters from waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And so it was. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the herb that yields seed and the fruit that yields fruit according to its kind. Whose seed is in itself on the earth. And so, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be from signs and seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and so it was, then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Then God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. I hope you're just appreciating God's creative power. There's something about just reading the scriptures without a lot of commentary. God spoke, and it was. God spoke, and it was. Notice on the third day of creation that God creates the plants before he creates the sun. Did you notice that? There's some that believe in theistic evolution, this idea that God put in process evolution and creation actually took place over all of these thousands, maybe millions of years. Well, that really breaks down between the third and fourth day of creation. Because if God creates the plants and then it's millions of years before the sun comes along, the whole thing falls apart. Even in the order of creation, if you take the creator out of it, it falls apart. Does that make sense? So you have these plants that were created on the third day and then the fourth day you have the sun, you take God out of that equation and it doesn't 
work. The sun is so needed for plants to be able to exist. Also, this emphasis in Genesis after its kind, we see this throughout creation where there will be variations inside of a kind, but it's still a dog. You know, it'll be different breed of dog, but it's still a dog. It's after its kind. Genesis 1, if you read it at face value, it debunks evolution. It debunks theistic evolution. So let's go on. Then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply in the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind." And so it was. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind. This is when beef comes into the equation. We should be thankful. Deer and elk and all those kinds of things. And everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Amazing. God is the creator. All of the animal kingdom, the sun, the stars... The galaxies created by God. And we come to the apex of God's creation. We come to the glory of his creation. The exclamation point of his creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all of the earth over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over everything that moves on the earth. Of all of God's creation... It's only of Adam and Eve that he says, I've made them in my own image. Jesus is speaking to Jews. He's speaking to the chief priests. He's speaking to the scribes that know the Old Testament. When Jesus gives this illustration of the coin and whose image is on the coin and goes back to Genesis chapter 1, they would know this in their hearts and their minds. Let us create them in our image. Adam and Eve are made in the image of God. Yes, the sun declares the glory of God. Yes, the redwoods in southern Oregon and northern California declare the glory of God. For sure, the Pacific Ocean declares the glory of God. Pueblo Reservoir, not so much, but (laughs) we're thankful for it, right? Creation declares the glory of God. But of all of God's creation... Only Adam and Eve are made in his image. We alone have a spirit that's going to last for eternity. Animals don't. Trees don't. 
but you do. You're three-dimensional. Your body, soul, and spirit, you're created in the image of God. And with this comes unique responsibilities and unique roles. Notice that we're given authority over the animal kingdom. That's part of being in the image of God. That's not very culturally correct, but it is biblically correct. So animals shouldn't control us, but we should control animals. We should steward them. God gives that task to Adam and Eve. And this authority was given to them before the fall takes place. They were to steward the garden. They were to steward the animal kingdom. They were to steward creation even before the fall took place. Working in and of itself is not bad. There's a blessing in work. We experience the fallen aspect of work, but when we get to heaven, we're going to experience the redeemed aspect of work. Also, what is de- clearly defined by the Lord here, and we're going to talk about this more in just a minute, is their created male and female. You would think that God wouldn't have to decipher this. By looking at Adam, he's clearly male. By looking at Eve, she's clearly female. But God in his wisdom knew how much that we would contest this. And so he lays it out for us and says that he created them male and female. Now notice there's a difference. Male is different from female. Female is different from male. And this is by God's design. This is the way that he wanted it to be. He wanted us to be different as men and women. But working together and male and female together inside of God's design have the ability to create. And God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen through Adam and Eve's marriage. God's institute of sex and sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. God's allowed 23 chromosomes from Adam 23 chromosomes from Eve. I'm not going to go any farther. You're all adults. You know how this takes place. But the mystery of life, right? And it's literally half of mom, half of dad into this new person that God creates through their intimacy. And God blesses Adam and Eve with that capacity to be able to give birth to another life. And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food and also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every herb for food and it was so. Then God saw everything that he made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day, six days, six literal days, 24 hour periods, God creates the heaven and the universe. This Hebrew word for day refers to a 24-hour period every other place in the scripture. And so it makes sense that it's a 24-hour period here, that, that God is able to create the world in six days. He rests on the seventh day. Let's go to chapter two to verse 18. God zooms in on the detail that he gives to us of how he created Eve. And the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So as you're reading through Genesis 1 and 2, it's all good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Till we get to Adam, who's alone, and God's like, "This, this is not good. This is not going well. 
for Adam to be by himself. Now, God does call some men to singleness, some women to singleness, but in general, it's biblical that it's not good for men to be alone. My existence before Amber came into my life was proof of that, right? It's like, man, it, it is not good for me to be alone. And it was true uh, for Adam as well. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, it was. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no helper comparable to him. So he's seeing male and female in God's creation as he's naming these animals. I think Adam was brilliant as he has to name all of these animals. It's very difficult just to get a new puppy and give that puppy a name, right? But here he is all by himself and he's naming all of the animals, but he realizes that he's alone. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord had taken from the man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. So God creates Eve in this very unique way. Puts Adam into a deep sleep, takes one of his ribs, literally pops it out, and from that rib creates Eve, wakes up from his sleep, and God presents Eve to Adam. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So is marriage the institution of Colorado? Is marriage the institution of the United States? Does the EU, the European Union, get to decide what marriage is? No, marriage belongs to the Lord. God is the institute of marriage, and he puts together this first couple here. A unique couple where Eve never had any other boyfriends than Adam, and Adam didn't have a mother-in-law. <laughs> And they're able to enjoy fellowship with the Lord in the absence of sin. God comes to hang out with them in the cool of the day. And it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And what I want you to see at the end of verse 2 is this beautiful display of Adam and Eve made in God's image. As male and female in marriage, enjoying sexual intimacy, there's no shame, they're, they're naked, but there's no shame between the two of them. And this is just an awesome picture of what God had in mind when he made us in his image, male and female. We go to chapter three and it just flows right in. I, I know most of you know this, but in the original text, there's no chapter and verses. And sometimes I think the chapters and verses can actually hinder us because our minds stop, our minds disengage. Chapter two ends and we don't follow the flow into chapter three, but it's all connected. So as soon as Adam and Eve, male and female, enjoying marriage the way that God intended, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not 
eat of every tree of the garden. Satan right away attacks the image of God. He hates the image of God. And sometimes I think we forget that we have a real enemy that's coming against God. Satan wants to do everything to destroy God. He's not able to do so, but he's going to fight hard. And so he immediately, he attacks this expression of the image of God, Adam and Eve, male and female, inside of marriage. And what I want you to see tonight is that we're made in his image, and Satan has not stopped attacking that. That when we really look at all of the things that are taking place in culture, it's an attack on the image of God. But there's good news, there's victory in Jesus Christ, where we don't have to live in the lives of the enemy, but this is what Satan's after. He does not want Adam and Eve to bear the image of God, to reflect the glory of God as the apex of God's creation. So what does he do? He questions the word. Has God really said? Is this what God has, has really told you, that you shall not eat of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you can't eat of every tree of the garden? God had told them. He told them, look, there's one tree you can't eat of, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And in questioning God's word, Satan's trying to make it sound like God is holding out on them. Didn't God allow you to eat of every tree? Wouldn't a a loving God give you freedom to eat every tree? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She added the, you shall not touch it. God only said, you shouldn't eat it, but she, she added to that command. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now he contradicts and replaces the word. That's what Satan does. And that's what he's continuing to do, especially in these truths about us being created in God's image. He's going to get us to question, then he's going to contradict, and then he's going to replace. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her. Adam is there, and Adam's not fulfilling his responsibility to provide and protect He is responsible. We see in the New Testament, Adam is ultimately responsible for this. And he ate, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. That attack upon Adam and Eve being in the image of God. There's a lot in these first three chapters that we could go into. There's a ton that we could go into in these seven verses. But what I want to focus on tonight is how this plays into this current attack that Satan has upon us knowing and believing that we're created in God's image. So on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I host a radio show for 100.7 where you can call in and ask questions and text questions. And sometimes we have, have guests in. Tonight, we, we had Rich Bennett in from Life Network who, who leads Life Network to talk about all that God's doing. And, but last night, we were available for phone calls and texts. And it was a really 
slow show. And that happens sometimes. And I usually have some prepared questions and content. And for the whole hour, I got one text. Uh, but that one text was worth it. And it's interesting just with the dynamics of, of radio. is Someone gets to be completely anonymous when they s- call in on the phone or they send a text. And sometimes people are really transparent, which I really appreciate. And I'm sharing this because the man that texted in shared it on a live radio show that's archived on a podcast. So he's shared it in a very public forum. This was not a private conversation in the confidence of my office or any of those type of things. But in his text, and bear with me on this, he said, when I was 12 years old, and it sounded like his mom, grabbed his head and just repeatedly shoved his head into the toilet while telling him he was a piece of... And just over and over, slamming his head into the toilet, declaring that over him. And he said, ever since then, there's this dark cloud that I can't seem to shake. And even when people tell me that I did a good job or I'm a nice guy, all I can think about is if you really knew me, you would know that I'm a pizza. And the enemy attacked at the very core that he's created in God's image and has lied to him throughout the rest of his life. And I was humbled by his question and did my best to try to answer it and pray, pray for him. But it really opened my eyes to how the enemy works. He is after this in your life. As a believer, he's after this understanding in your heart and life that you're created in God's image for whom Christ died, that you have value by the Lord. And one of the ways that he gets a foothold in this is when somebody commits evil against us. They sin against us, and then we start to believe the lies of what that person did in our life. And it beats us down, and it beats us down, and it beats us down. And before you know it, we're walking in the lies of the enemy And deep down, we're going, has God really made me in his image? Does God really love me? Did did he really die for me? Has he forgiven me of my sins? Another aspect that plays into this is our own sin. There's the sin of others and evil that's been done to us. But then there's our own sin. And the hideous thing about sin is sometimes we struggle in the same area over and over, don't we? And we have periods of defeat, but then we give in and we fail and we're back in that same place. And then before you know it, our own sin is beating us up and the enemy's lying to us. And we start to doubt that we're made in the image of God. We, we start to doubt that we have value because of our own failure. Then you add into this what culture's declaring to us. And culture really has given us a standard for what men should look like and what women should look like. I just happen to never have met a man that actually fits the standard or a woman that fits the standard. But you probably know about your physical appearance where you're like, I I don't really fit what is the standard. Oh yeah, my my nose is too big. Yeah, I, I get it, right? And before you know it, you're starting to compare with whatever this standard that the world gives to us. And we're not in a place of going, 
I'm created in the image of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And we touched on this a little bit on Saturday and Sunday, and I want to revisit it tonight because I think a lot of these areas that are in our face is a full-on attack of the enemy when it comes to the image of God. Because it's not just believers that are created in God's image. Agreed? So you were created in God's image even before you came to know Christ as your Savior. This is intrinsic value that God places on humanity that he gives to men and women. Abortion is ultimately an in-the-image-of-God issue, right? So when is that baby in God's image? At conception. At conception. So Satan is attacking the very image of God with abortion, with this lie of saying, well, it's not really a baby. It, it's, it's a fetus. And it's, it's really part of the mom's body. But we know scientifically that, that that's not the case, that at conception, that this child develops their own body. They, they have their own body in the womb. And mom has this amazing privilege of granting life to the child But yes, the mom's body is involved, but there is a physical person that's made in the image of God, and Satan loves to attack that. Euthanasia, medical-assisted suicide, is attack upon the image of God. Are you still in the image of God when you have Parkinson's disease, and your life is not what it used to be, and your body is failing? Are you still created in the image of God when you have dementia, and you're 90 years old, and you've got great, great memories of the past, but you have no idea of what you did yesterday. Sometimes I wonder if that's God's grace. It's hard on everybody else around you, but for the person going through it, who knows? I know there's a ton of challenges with, with Alzheimer's and dementia, but, but does that person still bear the image of God when they're terminally ill with cancer and their body is not what it used to be, are they still in the image of God? Do they have that intrinsic value? So when Satan ultimately comes against that and says, you can medically go this route of suicide that's opposite of natural death, it's an attack upon the image of God, isn't it? You know, suicide's an attack upon the image of God. The lies have gotten so loud and so strong in this idea that everybody else's life around me is going to be better if I took my own life. I was reflecting today on a time when I got a phone call that a family in our church had their high school son commit suicide and they wanted us to come over to the house within hours of finding out. And the the dad had found his son had hung himself at the park and the dad was the one who found him and myself and Pastor Robert are are sitting with the husband and wife in their master bedroom as they're weeping out of their minds that their son has committed suicide and this is a kid that grew up right here at our church. This is not a, a family that wasn't that involved. This is one of our core families and one of our core kids that grew up in our children's ministry grew up in our youth ministry, and he believed the lies of the enemy. Where did that come from? The enemy was after this core understanding and belief that he was made in the image of God, 
that his life had value and purpose. Heaven does not cancel out the fact that there's purpose in this life. In fact, heaven gives purpose to this life. Paul was looking forward to going to heaven, but he also wanted to stay and have fruit amongst the church of Philippi. And he says he was hard-pressed between the two. You should look forward to life. You should look forward to what God has for you. You should expect to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie that Satan comes against and says, your life is not worth living for. Your life is not your own. You're created in the image of God. Your life bears the image of God. It, It has value. Sexuality bears the image of God and is very much being attacked. The enemy, in a lot of ways, is coming to the church and yes to the world and saying, has God really created you male and female? You'll find churches that are going to say, hey, this whole idea of male and female, it doesn't really matter. This whole idea of men being married to men, it doesn't really matter. Love is love and, and God is love and so... If you've got two men that are married to each other, two women that are married to each other, God wants you to be happy, and so you get to pick your own gender. So you're a biological male, and you want to be a biological female. This is part of Satan's mission statement. Jesus said that Satan comes to rob, to kill, and destroy. That's what he's trying to do. So if he can have that take place through abortion, he can have that take place through medical-assisted suicide, suicide, sexual sin, whether it's heterosexual sin or homosexual sin or, or changing your gender, he's, he's destroying lives. So you're saying, where's the hope in all of this? Well, it's the second value statement. I want you to hear this as clearly as my voice can, can resound, is there's two really profound truths in the scriptures that give us value. The first is that we're made in Christ's image. The second is for whom Christ died. So your life has value because you're made in God's image. The second, because Jesus died for you. And this brings us to a place of going, my life matters to God. My life is important to God. And I know for a lot of us, we understand these truths up here in our heads, but really in our hearts, we can lose sight of the fact that I personally am made in God's image and Christ has died for me. And thankfully, the death of the cross brings forgiveness for all sin, forgiveness for abortion, forgiveness for those times where Thoughts of suicide come in and we focus in upon it and we think about taking our own life. Thankfully, forgiveness for sexual sin, all kinds of sexual sin as we turn to the Lord, receiving forgiveness from God. And it's the sacrifice of Jesus that rescues us from this attack of Satan that he's putting upon our very lives. And God is doing that work to be able to get into that broken space of our life where what defines us is not what happened to us when we're 12 years old or our own sin, 
or what culture is saying, but we go, man, I'm defined by the fact that I'm created in God's image and Jesus has died for me. So I hope tonight that there's some breakthrough in your heart and in your life. And to some degree, I think we're all struggling with this. And it may be, I've always struggled with some aspect of my physical body. Hey, don't struggle any longer. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're exactly the way that God, God wants you to be. Rejoice in the physical body that God has, has given to you. Maybe you've always resented some part of your personality, like deep down you're really quirky. You're like, oh man, I don't really like the fact that I'm quirky. Knock it off, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe you're kind of nerdy, you're, you're geeky, you're really good at academics and books and you know all the facts and you kind of like to hide that over there. People are like, what are you doing tonight? And you know on a Friday night you're home reading and you're loving it. It's like, just embrace it. You're like, you know, I'm a nerd for Jesus. I'm going to be home reading. I love reading. Like, that, 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 I'm fearfully and, and wonderfully made. I really own who God has, has created you, you to be. And, and to allow the Lord to, to give hope and say, you know what? I'm going to be a pioneer for life because God is the author of life. And I'm made in God's image. So I'm going to fight for life in the womb and life for the elderly and, and life for that person that, that's struggling with, with, with suicide and allow the Lord to, to lift us up out of that place. But I think there's one more application and it, it's first really understanding this in our own hearts and lives and allowing God to meet us wherever we may struggle in the, in the gamut of, of these issues. But then the second is to really start to live like we believe this in regards to other people. And start with your family. Okay, mom and dad, my brothers, my sister, they're made in the image of God and Christ died for them. And instead of just seeing them as a parent or a sibling, to see them, the value that God places on them, husbands and wives, when was the last time you thought of your, your spouse as this amazing gift that's made in the image of God. They're, they're created in the image of God for whom Christ died. Do we think of our kids that way? Do, do we look at our kids and go, wow, God, they're made in your image. They're a triune being. They have body, soul, and spirit, and you have died for them. And sometimes I think it's hardest on the family level because we see the human level of all of us, don't we? We see the fallen aspect of each other. My, my family sees the fallen reality of me a lot more than you do. It's pretty easy to behave while I'm giving a message, right? But it's a lot more difficult when I'm dealing with my depravity at home. You know, my, my kids can tell you, my wife can tell you of, 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 my, of my sin. And so we experience each other's sin in a unique way. And so it takes another level of God working his love into us. Of like, I'm not just going to see my family in their sin, but I'm also going to see them in the fact that they're created in God's image and God has died for them. He's given his son for them. Do you find yourself getting frustrated with culture and the community and people? And you're just like, how can they think that? And, and how can these laws be passed? And don't get me wrong, I think that these laws need to be challenged and we need to care about who's in leadership. 
But somewhere in the midst of all that frustration, at least for me, I can stop seeing people as being made in the image of God for whom Christ died. And it does not matter what state they're in. If they're in a broken, fallen, sinful state, they're still made in God's image and Jesus has still died for them and Jesus wants to introduce himself to them. Just like Jesus introduced himself to me in my broken and fallen state. We talk about this sometimes as believers. You maybe have heard this as a biblical worldview. You know, what's a, what's a biblical worldview? It's, am I seeing the world through the lens of scripture, through the lens of truth? And that's, that's really important. So to have a biblical worldview is to see these issues through a perspective of life like we've talked about tonight. The application then is to have a heart for people and go, you know, do they know that they're valued by God? Do they know that they're created in God's image? Do they know that they're the very chief and the apex of God's creation? Do they know that Jesus died for them? I bet you if you met this man who texted in, and I've never met him, you'd have no idea what happened to him when he was 12 years old. And you'd have no idea how that has affected and formed his life. Like, what if we knew what someone had been through? What if we knew what they had gone through? Some of the challenges and difficulty, how the enemy has maybe stomped on them being the image of God and just tried to crush that out of their very soul and their, their very being. We don't know. Most people aren't going to come up and, and tell you the really difficult things that have happened in their life. We don't know the kind of weight of sin that they're carrying. Go, man, can God, God forgive me because I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and it's just, it's just crushing this very core that they're made in the image of God for whom Christ died. One of the things that's really clear with Jesus when he died and rose again is he sent us out. He said, go and preach the gospel and make disciples of, of all nations. He wants this message to go out. He wants this message to be heard. So for it to be experienced in my life, to allow God to set free from sexual sin, to, to set free from thoughts of suicide and acting up upon that, to set free from all of these aspects that we've talked about tonight and to really live in this truth that I'm created in God's image for whom Christ died, but then to start to treat people in that way. To look them in the eyes, to take time to care, and maybe when they're sinning against us and sinning against God, is to be able to, through God's power and God's strength, respond in a way that maybe Jesus would respond to really love, to really care, to, to be able to, to speak truth. God is more powerful than Satan. Agreed? Amen? And we've seen God do this work in our lives to bring us out of darkness into light, into the truth of knowing that we're in his image, of knowing that Christ has died for us. And he is doing this in people's lives. A lot more than I think the enemy would want us to know. He's saving people. He's bringing people from darkness to light. He's causing them to, to be born again. 
And we get to be part of that. The Spirit's already working. We simply get to be part of that. But as simple as this is, it's a simple message. I'm made in God's image for whom Christ died. It can be very difficult to connect those dots and really believe that and live in that. And then it can also be difficult to treat others in that reality. So as we take communion tonight, let's go to Jesus with some desperation. Let's come to his table and say, Jesus, I'm here to meet with you. And would you take this truth that you created me in your image, that you died for me, and would you just solidify me deep? And maybe there's some things that you've been holding on to, some lies of the enemy, where the enemy's been beating you up. And to be able to say, no, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Then to allow the Lord, the Holy Spirit. We can't produce this fruit in of ourselves, but we can surrender to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, would you help me to see people differently? Would you help me to, to treat people differently? God, would you forgive me? I haven't really been treating my spouse in a way that reflects that they're created in your image, that you died for them. This coworker, they really drive me nuts. Not really looking forward to seeing them tomorrow. God, would you change my heart? Would you help them, help me to be able to, to treat them differently? Jesus, as he was crucified, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen was being martyred and being stoned to death. He too said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What, that kind of grace when a world that's hostile to Jesus Christ, that we could respond in such a way that could point them to the goodness of God, point them to the forgiveness of God. So let's stand, let's pray, let's enter into a communion together uh, tonight. Father, we do ask that you would take these truths and that you would work them into our hearts, that you would connect the dots, that we would know that we know that we're created in your image and that you died for us. And would you help us to treat others in this truth, treat others in this reality. And would you bring so, so many people to you. In Jesus' name, amen.